Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange, stories by leaders for leaders to help you to raise the bar on your own performance and to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's episode. Greetings, everyone. This is Hugh Ballou. We're back for a new episode every week of the Nonprofit Exchange, where we interview people who have done some remarkable things. They have studied, they have, most of us have done things we wish we hadn't, but we've learned from those and we get to share that wisdom as well. But we have um, a really good guest today, uh, Lisa Anna Parker, who's uh, coming in from Ottawa, Canada. And and Lisa um, is an author and a coach and a consultant and her topic area is like ours, it's leadership. But Lisa, one of my favorite quotes is from the British conductor composer, Rafon Williams. And he has known, is quoted to, as saying, music did not reveal all of its secrets to just one person. Now, you could change that word music and put leadership. You can put a lot of things there. So I find it fascinating that other people have different, different perspectives and we get to share a lot of perspectives. And, you know, it's a composite of a lot of things when we come up to the center that means something to us. So Lisa, Anna Parker, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you have this passion for leadership. Yes. So I'm Lisa Anna Palmer. 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 <laughs> Just want to make that sure in case my husband's watching, you know. <laughs> That's a case and study we all, you know, about making mistakes. No problem. No problem. Um, yeah. So thank you so much, Hugh, for inviting me on your show. I'm, I'm so excited. And um, since you've asked me, because uh, we met on the C-suite, I, I was doing some research on some of the approaches you're taking. And I love that you are a conductor and that you use that analogy for leadership because it's so true. You know, it's how leaders are able to engage people to work together towards a common goal. And uh, there's something that happens that makes us uh, greater than ourselves when we all come into synergy. So a little bit about uh, my background. So I've worked for over uh, 28 years in the field. Um, and I started at the uh, young age of uh, 22. I worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers. It was Coopers and Librand at the time. And um, I had the joy of working on large reengineering projects and uh, as part of the uh, organizational renewal group. So that's where I kind of started my career and um, began looking at the importance of um, basically human experiences at work. You know, and my undergrad was in psychology. So that's where it really started in terms of having a passion for understanding what motivates people, you know, what gets people going and, uh, and all the different aspects of human emotion. And relating that back to the workplace, what I found was it's a really huge laboratory <laughs> for how people interact with one another, right? So uh, since then, I, um, I went from working within uh, consulting firms and I wanted to actually try to implement some of the uh, solutions that we were developing and I, I wanted to work in human resources. So I went to work at the Royal Canadian Mint, uh, followed by, I, I stayed there for a few years as an HR officer. And then I went to work at Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. So these are federal employers uh, with the government of Canada. And in 2011, after I had a really interesting career. So I had like some really, really great times, excellent uh, leaders. Uh, and I also had some difficult times. I had some burnouts. Um, 
I had difficulty saying no uh, when work was, um, you know, basically uh, brought my way and, uh, and also having to learn to lead others, right? Because I had been a high performer and all of a sudden, oops, you know, I get promoted to leadership roles and having to um, bring people together. Right, it's a different different kind of experience. <laughs> yeah, I like this. I like this. Whoops, thing. Um, we're both wearing uh, Apple headset, uh, ear pods today because we got noise in the background. So uh, we want to make sure that we have good audio. So uh, were you at the end of that? I'm sorry. I just was excited about what you were saying. <laughs> no, I was just saying. You know, and, and that's a very common uh, experience in leadership. Is that you know people are high performers. They're really good at what they do. Uh, be it finance, marketing, you name it. And suddenly we get rewarded with promotions into formal leadership roles. And it's a completely new kind of experience um, that many aren't really exposed to until they actually get you know, the title of manager or executive. And, uh, and there's a struggle and a transition that takes place um, that people are just not prepared for. And I believe that's at the heart of a lot of the toxicity we're seeing in workplaces. Oh, my word. Um, there's this thing in the military where if your platoon doesn't respect you as a platoon leader, they're likely to shoot you in the back in combat. And I know there's corporate leaders all over that I've experienced that get shot in the back every day, but they don't even know it. So there's, there's this self-awareness thing that's really lacking. So the fact that you said, oh, I'm a leader now, there, there's a beginning of discovery that there's something we need to learn. Um, and I've, in my short life of 74 and three quarter years, I have, I have discovered that one of the most misunderstood words in our language is leadership. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, what I was trying to research when I was writing my book, Light a Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership. And I mean truth in the terms of like how we live it, not necessarily absolute truth. Um, and so I was trying to find a definition, just like any good author, right? You start with a definition, couldn't find one single definition other than, you know, leadership is to lead, right? <laughs> so it's like, that's not helpful. Uh, and then I found that there was a study done, um, and, uh, they found that there were 91 different factors of leadership. I said, no wonder it's so difficult to describe. So I, I believe that leadership is one of those, um, concepts, just like love and energy, um, that we really need to understand what it means for us, what it means for the people around us, and how we want to interact with, with that energy of, of leadership. That's a really good explanation. I'm, I'm going to send a note here because we got a, a class that's trying, a communications class that's trying to tap in, and I just kind of noticed they're on the wrong, wrong link. So I see behind you, they're on Zoom, but they're in the wrong Zoom. <laughs> I see behind you a book. Um, so talk about that book. And I did a landing page. And if you go to uh, the nonprofitexchange.org, you'll find uh, this current version of this current episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. And I've got the picture of your book. It's about this fire thing. Isn't that dangerous setting a fire? Yeah, here, I'll, I'll show you a close-up of the flame. There you go. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So light a fire in their hearts, the truth about leadership. Well, it depends, right? Fire it depends what, what you do with it, right? How many times have we heard, I know I heard it lots of times when I work, was working in, in human resources and also as I was becoming a, a, you know, a formal leader in different um, 
situations. The, the old adage, you know, in order to motivate people, you need to light a fire under where, you know, uh, we kind of know where, where, where we're told to light those fires. And, and um, in, in years of observation and working with leaders at all levels, you know, from frontline all the way to CEOs and also counseling employees who are coming to me with their challenges. What I learned is that really what we need to do is learn to light a fire in people's hearts right? To create that burning desire to want to do good things at work and, and to do, you know, and to treat each other and connect at the human level. So that's what, you know, lighting a fire in their hearts means is really to be able to help unleash people's potential uh, by igniting their engagement, by igniting their desire to want to be and do their, their best at work and otherwise. You know, I started conducting a long time ago. It was 18 and I was nothing but potential. Now I had studied music theory, I had studied piano. So I knew the rubrics of music, not anything about choral conducting though. So I started directing a choir, um, but I focused and I learned that, but I look back on some of those probably embarrassing times, I didn't know any better. But there is this thing of recognizing potential. And I, th I think, and, and I guess people think that some people who are bossy are leaders when we aren't really born as leaders, are we? Well, here's an interesting thing. So um, there's an author here in Canada. Her name is Francoise Morissette. And she wrote a book called Made in Canada Leadership. And she uh, went into the whole aspect of innate versus accidental leader. So innate are the typical uh, behaviors that, you know, we assign to someone who may be, you know, on, on the playground, they're telling everybody what to do. And, and uh, you know, people are saying, oh, they're born or natural leaders versus accidental leaders, uh, which are people who, you know, step up when they feel the strong desire to, you know, uh, address a certain situation or, or, you know, standing up for the cause or whatnot. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you, you know, because you work with, with with clergy and also with nonprofits, people who really step up because they believe in something is something very common and important, right? So when I was looking at that, those two concepts, innate versus accidental leader, is that some of us might be born with certain tendencies to, you know, to gather people around and 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 get them to really work towards our objective or our vision. However, there's growth opportunities for both. Right. So you, you take your innate leader, for example, innate leaders tend to be a little bit more extroverted. Right. So they're the ones who are kind of stepping up into the limelight and whatnot. So what about listening? What about being thoughtful? Right. Those are growth areas for people who are considered, quote unquote, innate leaders. So there's there's a growth that needs to happen for them. At the same time, the accidental leader tends to be a little bit more introverted. Right. So what they need to do is Perhaps they're already good listeners and thoughtful and are helping uh, others to shine, but they need to start to learn to step up and, and you know, sh help share the spotlights because sometimes people look to you for guidance, right? So you need to be upfront. So it's interesting to me that these concepts we've created around leadership really need to converge because someone who is a great people leader, to me, is someone who kind of has grown, be they innate, have grown more of the accidental leadership type uh, uh, qualities like learning to listen, learning to share the spotlight, give recognition to others, 
and somebody who's more accidental leader learning to step up and have the courage to get out of their comfort zone. Okay. Um, according to the um, statistics, this is old stuff, the Myers-Briggs people, um, you mentioned clergy, and I do work some with clergy. It's the minority of who I work with, but certainly uh, there's a need for leadership potential there. Uh, there's a potential for growth there, I should say. 75% um, of clergy identify as introverts. Mm. And I would mm. guess church musicians, a large majority of them would also identify as introverts, mm. which doesn't say you're shy or not. It says mm. that's where, how, you, how you generate your energy. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I'm, duh, an extrovert. I'm out there and I get my energy from interfacing with people. So let's, let's unpack some of these. That's, that's fascinating. So I, I do agree uh, with you that the, I don't disagree at all with anything, the, the, um, the fire, the passion, the purpose, the focus. Let me, let me give you um, our four points, uh, Hubaloo's four points of leadership, let you respond to them in, in your, your words. So I have these four, these four principles of leadership that we teach in Center Vision Leadership Foundation. And from a conductor standpoint, I'm gonna change my background just for fun because you've brought up the conductor thing and here I am. And to me, to me, that's a powerful leadership uh, uh, model because we can't make anybody do anything. We can't bark and, and, right. and tell people. We, we pull out of people and we create the space for people to use their own abilities. So with that, so let me just give it briefly and you respond and then uh, we'll get to some real questions. But the first one, you know, I'm on the podium. I'm ready to go. Uh, say it's rehearsal. This is a meeting, by the way. Um, I got to know the score. I got to know exactly where I'm going. I have to be very clear about expressing it. And I have to have the skill to express it. So I call that foundation, that number one foundations. So let me give you a one by one respond to, you just talked a little bit, I triggered this this line of questioning that triggered the uh, being very clear on where you want to go. Talk about that, son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so having the vision, being clear, absolutely. And also engaging others in it, right? Having recognition and particularly, you know, overlaying it to what's going on today. People, you know, organizations are struggling trying to figure out how to bring people back into the workplace or what's that going to look like. No one knows. And one of the questions, the first questions I have for leaders is, have you asked your team? Right? Good question. Uh, Good question. Right? So it's important to hold that vision. And uh, I heard, I, I, I can't recall their name, but somebody was talking about being a chief vision officer, right? Because you need to create that vision. Yeah. And, and then to inspire others to see it and then also make it their own and being open and having you know, that, that open spirit to the fact that others want to contribute to that and are inspired by it. So let's create something that together, and, I, and that's what I love about, you know, uh, the fact that you're a conductor and, and seeing that beautiful orchestra, they're looking at you for the vision, that, that foundational piece, and then they're bringing themselves into it. So it becomes this beautiful shared piece of music. Love it, love it. And you notice on my music stand, there's a piece of music, which is our it's actually the equivalent of a strategic plan. People now, it's an engagement tool. We know, we know where to go. So that's all, all part of foundation is direction and process. So number two is uh, when I hire a contract orchestra, I hire the best. Mm -hmm. So the first one's know the score, second one's hire the best. It's about relationships. Why are relationships important in leadership? 
Oh, wow. Relationships are so important. I think it, the best uh, leaders know how to connect at the human level to really go beyond and transcend, you know, this, this external uh, face we all put forward is how to get past that, how to connect with the human being that's behind it and see that potential and also to help unleash it. And unless you create a safe space of a, within a safe relationship where it's not based on fear, but it's based on mutual respect, on caring, you know, I would say love, you know, the, the agape love uh, that we have uh, for one another on compassion, unless we are able to create that space then people were not going to bring their best, they're going to hold back because they're not going to be vulnerable. They're going to hold back and not put their all into it. Whereas when we're leaders who care and who really want to connect at the human level and unleash potential, then we, we work at creating that safe space where people feel like they're in a relationship that's mutually, um, you know, mutually beneficial, where uh, people feel comfortable and they're able to, uh, you know, take little risks and, 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 be able to be their, their best selves and take that risk. And, oh, maybe if it doesn't work out, guess what? You're creating a safe space. They'll learn from it. You're going to support them and you're going to help them take it to the next level. So attracting the best to me is, you know, people with high potential, uh, but who are also uh, heart inspired. Love it. Love it. Um, James Allen wrote that little book, As a Man Thinketh, and he says, we don't attract what we need. We attract what we are. Mm. And you just echoed that. So I just had this conversation with my wife on the on the on the balcony an hour ago. Were you listening? <laughs> That's so it, I you, promise. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier. Now this is one thing that I put front and center as a conductor is the listening skills. One of the most underutilized um, skills that a that a leader employs or needs to employ or should employ. There's a quote that I can't trace down. It must be anonymous that says, listening is so close to loving, you can hardly tell the difference. So there's a relationship piece that. of listening, but there's a clarity. You, you pointed out a lot of dynamics. So you want to say more about listening and why it's so important? Oh, yeah, for sure. Listening is key. I think it's the most important and most difficult leadership skill. And it's lifelong learning to listen, right? Because listening is not just about being present hearing what the person says, but it's actually working on ourselves to be able to be present instead of having our mind wander or trying to guess what we're going to say next or, or whatnot is to actually that hold that space and create that space for that person to, to, to be themselves and be vulnerable. And uh, actually uh, a fun story. Um, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Sir Richard Branson and uh, he was at a conference here in Ottawa and uh, I asked him a question. I was in the in the audience, and I and I really liked the you know his focus on people that he has for uh, his group of companies. And uh, I asked him, you know, uh, what would you advise new entrepreneurs who are trying to grow their companies to make sure that people stay passionate about their work, you know? And he said, you got to listen, 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 listen. That was his response. And uh, in fact, I, I love I love what came next. He says, you got to listen. You got to you know, um, act on, on what you're hearing. If there's things that you, you can't, then you explain, you give rationale, and then you look for the best in people, right? So Love listening it. helps you to hear and see the best in people. 
Now, how does that go with um, earlier? You talked about trust and creating a safe culture and allowing vulnerability. And Brene Brown writes books and speaks mm-hmm. on, on vulnerability. So where does this vulnerability come in? And it's not, it's not whining. It's not complaining. No. So how does vulnerability show up in leadership and why is that so important? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, part of the approach in, in my book, in the, the Light Your Leadership approach, is that great leaders connect at the human level through compassion, courage, and competence. And we can add creativity to that. So that courage piece is actually uh, really interesting when we look at vulnerability, because being vulnerable is the scariest thing on earth. And I know this for a fact, because I've worked with so many managers and leaders being, you know, on one-on-one meetings, which are different than when you look at, you know, have those meetings in the boardroom, one-on-one meetings. And some of the things that keep them from doing what they need to do to be great leaders is that fear of exposing their vulnerabilities and to be seen as weak. Whereas really when you are able to show your humanity and to share it in a professional authentic manner, you actually give permission to others to do the same. And that's when you get to the truth. That's when you're dealing with truth. You're not dealing with people's personas. You're not dealing with the masks that they're wearing. You're dealing with actual human uh, connection that is so necessary for high performance. And so having the courage to be vulnerable means I have the courage to be myself and not have to pretend I'm like this superhuman robot um, who walks around with this mask of so-called professionalism. So to me, professionalism is being able to be our very best to respect others and create civility and inclusion. That's authenticity, isn't it? Yes. Okay. That's really super. Thank you for this. And then, so I've got the first pillar is the foundation. Where are you going? Can you, can you do it? Can you lead it? Um, second one is about relationships. The third one is in music rests, rests are important. They're there for a purpose. Oh, There's yes. magazines in there. Um, their rests are important. So it's like, um, it's about balance. If we're working all the time, we're out of balance. We're worn out. We're no, mm-hmm. we're no good. We're no good. Um, so I'm trying to get a magazine to show you. So why is balance important? Caring for self, yeah. managing all the parts of ourselves, uh, physical, mental, spiritual, et cetera. Yeah, I'm so, so glad, I, you know, you, I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, certainly one of the gaps that, that we see all the time in working with leaders and also uh, self-leadership. So self-leadership, I think, is an important part of it right? Is we're all leaders. Some of us have formal titles, but we all need to lead in our lives. So we need to make decisions around those things. And I know for sure that I had a huge gap when it came to self-care, you know, because I didn't know how to set boundaries and say no at work. So, you know, I, I used to joke, I was like, you know, the, the HR drive through all the big files that were com- complex. Nobody else wanted to work on them or needed to be handled at the last minute were, were dropped onto my office. Uh, in my office on my desk and I would say yes because I did you know I was 33 at the time I didn't know how to say no and I thought it was my duty to to you know to be able to complete my work didn't matter that you know the the mountain kept getting taller and taller and even though I was delivering so I thought okay I'll get to the end of it then what would happen is that another pile would get dumped on me right so it's like a never-ending kind of thing 
So the, the, there's two aspects to it. One is the self-leadership where we need to learn. And I, fortunately, I, I, I got a coach because after I burnt out, we're trying to figure out what was going on, you know? And he's like, well, you don't know how to say no. You're saying yes to everything. You don't know how to manage your priorities. You're making everything a number one priority except for your health. So, so he taught me how to set those healthy boundaries. And at the same time, if I'm leading others, I need to not only set an example, I need to care enough to notice. So let me notice if I have somebody who's burning out, let me notice if, uh, you know, if I'm assigning too much work and let me invite them as part of the planning process so that we're creating reasonable timelines and goals where we're putting people first instead of, you know, trying to, you know, create these deadlines, which are unreasonable and trying to push everything through the system. Oh, Whoa, you sure you weren't listening to my conversation before? <laughs> this is quite remarkable. There's a wavelength thing going. <laughs> so the, the, the balance makes everything else work. If we don't care for self, we yeah. show, show up burned out. We burn so, out, we burn others out, right? Well, and, and we're talking to a segment, nonprofit leaders, the burnout rate is almost 50%. Oh, yeah. And it's higher for clergy. And I think oh, we, wow. do it, we do it to ourselves. Because that, that thing of delegating, caring from others, you know, building the synergy of the teams, creating a safe place that people can step up and be vulnerable, all of those are important in creating a half-functioning culture. Um, so the, the fourth principle, which is actually the third, I skipped over because I got distracted and it's partly my old age and mental condition. So, so we, but the balance piece is what makes everything else work. It's the rests are in music, they're traumatic. They're not absence of sound, it's, it's a punctuation. So the, the, uh, the, one, the final one is we rehearse for success. Every musical group, the best ones in the world, rehearse for every performance. Now we got worthy work, we've defined, we've developed our skill to lead this thing. We've got really good people around us. We come to the workplace refreshed and prepared but we put people into a system where they can't function. Like for instance, boring, unproductive meetings, the annual review, a lot of these things that are low functioning that we go into as in habit. So how do you see setting up effective systems as engaging the whole culture in what you're talking about in high performance, basically? Mm -hmm. Well, so I think it comes back to trust, right? So we have a high trust organization, then uh, leaders are more likely to delegate, uh, if they're not able to delegate, then they'll, they'll go back and say, well, why is that? Maybe I need to talk to my people, make sure they're trained. Maybe I need to do my own, mindful, uh, my own mindfulness practices. So, so being able to rehearse for success, I think you need to create the conditions for that. And, and part of that is also, uh, you know, making sure that you're not just creating, and I was having this conversation last week, echo chambers. Mm. Right. So Jody Bach and I were having a, a little talk. So that's my that's the name of my uh, podcast, like your leadership talks. And we were saying, you know what? Uh, and, and I think it comes back again to that idea of. Fear to be vulnerable is I'm going to want everybody to agree with me. So I'm going to create an echo chamber with where, where no one you know, steps up when maybe things are derailing or need to be flagged or whatnot. So what, what's going to what am I going to do? I'm going to create lots of meetings. Uh, where I can share this information, make sure others are repeating it back to me, you know, and um, maybe not having those fundamental relationships in place where people feel comfortable enough to come 
mention, you know, hey, let me flag this to you or whatnot. So then you have meetings to fix the problems because people didn't want to flag things to you in the first place. So it's this, it's this big circle of, of uh, or cycle of processes that are breaking down because there's bottlenecks. And oftentimes those bottlenecks could be removed with trust. Because if we empower people, then they're going to be able to, uh, you know, create good processes. Let's listen to the front lines. So here's listen again, right? Listen to the front lines who are actually doing the work uh, and, and not try to impose our, 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 you know, our perspectives on everybody in the organization by having, you know, cycles and cycles of meetings, help people to communicate with one another, empower them with the ability to communicate with one another. Don't be the person who says, oh, you can't go talk to that manager. You have to go through me first, right? Don't, don't be the one who prevents people from sharing across teams and, and to create an us and them kind of culture. So, you know, my, my view is that um, too many meetings, I, I think some meetings are important, so make them meaningful, right? This is where we're sharing values, where we're celebrating people, where we're gathering ideas, where we're brainstorming. And it's, it's, it's a reciprocal kind of situation. It's not just the leader talking, 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 because then they're not really being a leader. They're creating an echo chamber. So, so the idea <laughs> is that have meetings that are meaningful, make them interesting and fun, and creative so that we, we, we leave with a really clear sense of what everybody's gonna be doing for until the next time we meet, you know, you know, setting the foundation so that people are interacting with each other in between meetings. And then, you know, when we meet again, we're gonna do a little status. Does anyone need help? Does anyone have blocks? Does anyone need support? And then your meetings become meaningful. And then they're not just like blah, 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 leader imposing whatever credo or, or doctrine on, on the people who are attending. It's not your pulpit to preach. So um, hey, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in your fan club now. You just, you've got a lot of really good sound bites, a lot of really good sound bites. Um, so we're going to come back and talk about, I want to take a sponsor moment here. We're going to come back and talk about uh, communications and more about relationships and leadership. Um, and then we have some people that have joined us. I'd like you to talk about your book that's behind you and hold it up again, what's behind it. But I want to talk about our, one of our sponsors that's been a longtime sponsor and a very valuable sponsor is the printer for a nonprofit performance magazine, which I can't hold up because I've got my, <laughs> I don't have my green screen today. So um, and it's, it's funny how, how things disappear into the background. Uh, so Nonprofit Performance Magazine is a, is a leadership magazine that goes to leaders everywhere. And it's, it's about becoming a better leader and studying what other people have to share, like uh, Lisa Anna Palmer, who's on the show today. And you are invited to, to certainly, you wanted to ask about it, to have a, an article about some of the things you're talking about that would be in a subsequent issue of Nonprofit Performance Magazine. So it's published by Center Vision Leadership Foundation, and it's printed by WordSprint. WordSprint is our sponsor because WordSprint is a print house, but they really are a mailing house. And we stay at the top of the mind. It's top of mind marketing, and relationships are important. So we send things to people who have it in their hand, and we tell them what's going on. So if you want to stay in touch with your donor base, your supporters, uh, your sponsors, 
make sure that you stay in touch and put something in their hand. Bill Gummer and WordSprint and his team have had 20 years, two and a half million mailing pieces. They know exactly how this works. WordSprint.com. Go and check it out and you get a free consultation and they'll help you build a strong relationship data uh, system for you and your supporters. So we started out with you showing the book and there's been some folks that have joined since then. So I wanna um, take a special privilege and ask you to do it again or a little more about it. What inspired you and what happened yeah. as a result of writing that book? What happened? It's an experience, I've written 10 and it's an experience writing a book, isn't it? Oh my goodness, is it ever. I say, you know, I thought that writing a book, so, so this is uh, my first book. So I have a couple of other ones on the way. Uh, it's called Light of Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership, and it's available at all kinds of online stores. Um, just pick your favorite one. Uh, so what inspired me to write it is, I think it was just experiencing life um, in HR, in organizational renewal, and transformational leadership uh, for you know such a long time that uh, when I started my business in 2011, I decided to do HR consulting. But that was, I felt was too broad. So I was getting all kinds of requests for all kinds of work. And really where my heart was, was coaching, training, developing leaders. Um, and because I found that at the heart of a great deal of suffering in workplaces, there is a lot of suffering in workplaces, um, that there was always leadership behind it, either a question of self-leadership or, you know, incompetent leadership by others. And to put it nicely, it happens, right? Uh, it's, no, it's, it's no wonder engagement levels are like 15% of engagement and 85% of people are disengaged globally, right? So, so then, and then it, it took me a while to kind of get from being kind of judgy about it to being more compassionate about it and saying, well, look at the, look at the way people are promoted, right? They go from being really good, excellent, high performers at whatever they do, and they're rewarded with a promotion, and now they're in charge of a group. So they've spent maybe five, 10 years developing their craft, their profession, and zero time developing their leadership of others. And we expect them to succeed. So promoting people before they're ready, or before they're even mentored or able to uh, learn more about the art of leadership, the art and the science of leadership actually can hurt them and by extension hurt their teams and the organization. So that's one of the key uh, themes of the book is to prepare leaders and start early. Don't start like the day before you're going to promote them <laughs> to manager role, right? Start early. So early leadership development and also understanding the transition the transition of going from, it can be painful, right? So like you said earlier, you, you need to get the respect of your team. But if you were their colleague on Friday and you come in on Monday and you're their team leader, what happens, right? All of a sudden they're gonna put some distance between, and I was coaching managers and, and that's one of the most surprising things they experience. They say to me, Lisa, I don't understand, you know, like last Friday I was having nachos and chips with them and beer and all that stuff. And then here comes Monday and nobody wants to talk to me anymore. I'm not one of the guys anymore, right? So, so understanding that, you know, that leadership growth is, can be painful. So we need to support our leaders when they make that shift from being individual contributor to formal manager or executive or whatnot. 
So that's one piece. The other piece uh, that's really fundamental is what are the messages we are giving to the next generation of leaders, right? When, when, and I know because I, so I'm their coach, so I hear this, right? Oh, Lisa, today I went to my director and I asked them, you know, what do I need to do in order to be able to advance in the organization? One day I have a dream of becoming a VP. So what do you think the advice was? Rather than saying, well, you know, this, you know, learn to engage people, take leadership, develop yourself, et cetera. The advice is, well, in order to, you know, get ahead, you need to learn to play the game. So what is that game? It's not a nice game, right? That they're being advised to play. So I, I say those are two silent killers in organization is promoting people without offering them the opportunity to learn about leadership first. And secondly, is to, when they come for advice, is to tell them that they need to learn to play games or be mean or look out for number one to get ahead. Games are so destructive and they exist in corporate America, in, in uh, institutions of higher learning, in the church and synagogue. And a lot of times they're invisible because we don't, you know, there's been there so long, we no longer see them. Right. And um, so, so part of the, uh, the balance of my four principles is having a coach because leaders uh, need people like you and me, because we do have what are called blind spots. And part of that is being, um, we see it, but we don't see it. It's invisible right. in plain sight, sort of, sort of yeah. thing. Or we don't name it, right? Yeah. The elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. uh, it's really hurting organizations. We're deadly polite and we walk around it and we actually set up uh, unintended consequences, don't we? Absolutely. It's burning people out. Uh, people are suffering because of this. Leaders, their teams. Uh, when we tell people that they need to play games, that means don't be yourself. If you're a nice person. So imagine you hire somebody and bring them into your organization because they're a team leader, they're a good person, they have integrity. Uh, you know, they're great at what they do. You promote them and all of a sudden you're telling them, well, forget the integrity. You need to play games to get ahead. You need to step on other people's toes and, and you know, try to orchestrate kind of these ambushes of your colleagues. Come on. Yeah, yeah. And some of the corporate models, I won't mention any, but um, when you fire the bottom 10%, that's a fear. Yes. And people uh, are, you know, that's exactly the dynamic that that would set up. You know what I call that? Uh, the... <laughs> <laughs> the school of monstrous management. That's Ooh, what I, I call it. that. I love it. I love it. So you're, I haven't read your book. We just got connected. So I didn't, my excuse is, and I'll stick with it. I don't, <laughs> didn't have time to even get a copy, but um, I believe you offer advice model after 30 great leaders. So what do they have in common in, you know, how do you extract what, what are the essence of best leadership practices today? Yeah. Thank you. So uh, again, I, I wrote this book. I didn't want it to be um, uh, kind of academic. I want it to be told through stories, through stories in workplaces and, and with leaders. So I interviewed over 30 leaders. And uh, again, what, what I found they have in common is that ability to connect at the human level. That was number one. That was, you know, I would say um, the most important piece because leadership is being able to connect at the human level, good leadership or great leadership. We won't talk about bad leadership. So to be able to connect at the human level and then I, I identified through compassion. So having compassion, which is the empathy plus the desire to help. 
So it goes a bit further than empathy. It's empathy plus the desire to help, right? And to be able to see when others are going through a certain struggle or that they need help or whatnot. So having that ability to see that and notice and be able to listen, right? And then having courage. So the courage to be vulnerable, the courage to stand up and the courage to manage upwards. Because what I found was in doing workplace assessments is that people were overworked because their manager didn't have the ability to manage upwards and manage expectations of senior leadership to be able to manage the workload that was coming down. So kind of like my story at the beginning, right? Before I learned how to do it is I would say yes to everything except, you know, a lot of times I'd end up doing it myself and burning out or what, what would be, what would be the, uh, the other thing is that you pass it on, right? So having the courage to be able to stand up for what is right and being able to uh, manage expectations and to be able to flag things when they're not reasonable, even if it means taking a bit of a risk. Absolutely. And, yes, go ahead. And then, the, and then the third piece is competence, right? So, and that covers pretty much all the different uh, horizontal skills to be able to learn communications, performance management, you know, processes, all those things. So whatever it is that, that you're working on is that you become good at it and be able to inspire others uh, and, and encourage them to also continue to grow. It's lifelong learning, right? So those I say would be the, the key things plus creativity, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. My, um, when I speak to groups and people are questioning whether they're a leader or not, I say, here's three, here's Hughes, three simple definitions of a leader. You get things done. You know how things or figure out how things get done and you influence people positively. Right. You can certainly be a bummer and influence them negatively. So I want to, I want to touch on uh, something we've sort of moved around that the, the foundation, I believe, for leading is relationships. And we've, we've mm -hmm. talked about that and building the trust, but also communication has the same basis of relationship. And I, I forget who said this, but um, somebody famous said the, uh, the biggest illusion about communication is that it actually has taken place. <laughs> and and so you know we we think we have communicated because we sent an email right and, and we right and we forget you that a major part of communication is what listening we forget that part it's it's the most important part <laughs> yeah when when there's a there's a dialogue and right I, I think probably what leaders need to need to uh, get a hold of is that it's not a monologue and that what you were just talking about earlier about meetings you know it's, it's a delivery system for some people when it actually is an engagement tool and uh, our process is we define as uh, creating a new architecture of engagement because people have an opinion and they get to voice it and they get to see how it. It work, how it works out in, it. inside the group yeah yeah absolutely it has to be uh part of a process that there are more than, <laughs> there's more than one person involved to, to be communication. And then you want to check back and see, well, well, did I say it a certain way that people understand what I was saying? You know, so you need that dialogue. Unless if, you, if you're not having a dialogue, how are you going to see if people actually got what you had to say? And number two, are you, you know, are you hearing what they're saying back? <laughs> What's the saying? I'm not sure what you thought you said is what I thought I understood. <laughs> right. Check so it out. <laughs> Would you like to take a few questions? Absolutely. From yes. So we have we have some great young leaders, good sharp minds, with a good professor in Dallas, and they're in class watching you. 
And I just turned on Bob, uh, Bob Hopkins mic and Bob, I'm traveling. I don't have your, your um, uh, philanthropy misunderstood book, but he's a a really great teacher of philanthropy and uh, an inspiring leader of young leaders. So Bob, uh, do you have any questions boiling up from the group? Well, the group is quite kind of silent. Uh, We have, we do have one or two here um today we're listening though and i'm writing down on the board everything you're saying because i think this is an important topic for everybody to understand you know everybody wants to be a leader and everybody wants your child to be a leader and but how do you do that how do you do that and of course i have circled here arrive early dress up and show up so anyway <laughs> those are the first three things i suppose for an introvert if you want to be recognized go early and meet the people who are in control um, we have a question possibly here. This is Carmen. And I was going to ask you about this. How do international students transfer and get into the communities of America? How do they become leaders in organizations or in groups that really don't represent who they are? Oh. And Carmen is one of those people. She's, this is not her first language. This is not her country. It is now married and and she has children and she's actually middle-aged she's not an 18 or 19 year old student or or canada bob our 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 guest is in canada so it would apply to canada as well as the united states absolutely oh i'm so glad so so carmen is the person who is asking carmen i'm so glad you asked that question in fact i work uh quite a bit with a wonderful nonprofit called uh world skills employment center and uh, in particular, we're having an initiative, it's called Empowering Newcomer Women. So we help them to land work here in, uh, well, in Canada, in this case, uh, but I'm sure a lot of the, the, the same, um, I guess, opportunities would, would relate to the United States. And uh, a key part of that is we, we talk about self-leadership. Right, so leadership is from the inside out. So we always start with us first and are able then to radiate that outwards to engage others in it. And, you know, some of the things that you and I have been talking about are really key. That leadership is not about um, necessarily telling others what to do. It's about asking and listening and then being able to see how we can be of service to others, right? How can we, how can we inspire and engage others to be and do their very best? So I think that would be a great place to start is start, you know, developing your own leadership abilities, you know, doing uh, mindfulness, uh, you know, if if you have a faith based practices or whatnot, really working on yourself in terms of building your compassion, building your courage, building your competence in whatever areas you're in, and then start engaging with people, reach out to them, you know, really connect at the human level, because when you connect at the human level, and you establish that, then, you know, and you have people's ear is by first listening to them. And, and really think about leadership as not only um, guiding, coaching, et cetera, but as engaging with. So sometimes, you know, we worry about engaging with others because it feels uncomfortable or we have to get out of our comfort zone. So that's certainly an area to work on is that courage to reach out to others. Beautiful. I hope that helps. Thank you. Thank you. And I shine. Have... Go and shine. Shine your light. 
<laughs> yeah, I have one question. Oh, all my life I, I work uh, as a uh, sales associate. So now I am turned to be a teacher mm. and I'm working as a, a Montessori teacher right now. And, uh, and I had like a 20 children with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, all the teachers always tell me, uh, I, I don't know how to manage those 20 children. Sometimes they make me crazy. And that, I asked the teacher, how you manage these children? And say, well, the experiences. So what does you suggest for me? And who's talking? Who's it? Who is this? It's Carmen. 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 Still oh, it's still Carmen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Carmen, you're asking how, how to lead a group of children? Yes. <laughs> Good question. Let me know when you get the answer. <laughs> uh, but one of the things I can say uh, fundamentally is that children uh, are a great mirror and a reflection of our truth and our humanity. And children want to be seen and heard, just like adults do, except adults hide it better. Mm -hmm. So when you're able to show children that they're being seen and they're being heard, and that you connect with them and that they feel like they're valued and are important, guess what? They start to calm down because really even, and this happens in workplaces as well, right? So sometimes you see there's conflict in workplaces or people are getting upset and are getting louder and louder, especially if you're doing major transitions. It's because people want to be seen and heard and validated. Mm. So when, when we see their humanity at, at any age, then things start to get better. And then also show them yours. Beautiful. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank My you. pleasure. Actually, actually, so that's a really good um, laboratory for learning leadership. Because if you can do it there, you can probably do it anywhere. Bob, oh, yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Bob, I'm sorry I interrupted you. You got another one? Yeah, this is Tori. She has a question. Hi, Miss Lisa. What advice uh, do you have for a leader that maybe wants to start to write a book kind of like you have? Where would oh. you advise them to start? Oh, I love that question. Start, okay, so if somebody has a desire to write a book, I encourage them to start, just start. And I mean, Hugh is, is better, he's, he's written 10, right? So I, I've written, I'm on my second one now, but certainly it's, it's to follow, it's to answer that calling to write that book. I, I like to think of books as they're, they're souls that are born in a different format. Because I have to tell you, I, I learned so much just writing my book uh, because of the experiences. So you need to enjoy the journey. So I would ask, you know, what's, first of all, what's inspiring you to write that book? You know, we hear a lot about people writing books because it's their business calling card or whatnot. And that, that's, that's fair enough. But really when it's a book that comes from the heart, um, and it's profound, know that you are going to learn from that book. You are going to uh, grow from that experience. And, um, and even if you never finish it, which you, I hope you do, uh, you, just the gifts that come along the way. And I'll just give you an example, okay? Because when I first started, I, I've written corporate reports all my life. Uh, well, all my life, since 22, let's say. Uh, I'm 50 now, so that's a long time. And uh, you know, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll bang out this book in a year. No problem. No problem. Because I used to writing long reports, right? It took me five years. It took me five years to write it. And you know what? The first two years I was kind of getting mad because I was like, why can't I write this thing faster? 
And then by the third and fourth year, I said, look at all the blessings that came because I didn't write it faster. I got to meet people. I got to meet Richard Branson, for goodness sake. I got to meet all these 30 leaders that I wouldn't have known, you know, two years before. I got to experience new things, new projects through my work, um, meeting new people. I, I, I got to do this amazing project with Indigenous leaders, you know, so a big part of that is when you're starting to write your book is to trust and have faith. So this is a great place to have the faith. Have faith that it will guide you where you need to go to learn and to experience certain things that you're going to get to share in your book and mm -hmm. to trust that it'll happen in the right time. Love that answer. Thank you so much for that question. Bob, we got time for a short one more question. If you got, you got, you got one or somebody has one. Somebody else has one. I have one too, but I prefer my students to be the ones here. This is McKenna. Hi, um, I have a question about what are your thoughts about leaders who are having to congregate in underground churches, especially whenever they're going up like against the law? Mm. Maybe if you could just give me a little bit more, I think this might be something that's happening in the US. Um, well, I know it was actually in your homeland, Canada, but also, you know, overseas, international, like China, especially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what's happening? Yeah, what's happening with that? I, I'm not I'm not really sure I can comment on that per okay. se, other than to say that um, from a leadership perspective, yes, I believe leadership. that people need to do what they feel is right. Okay. In their hearts and to yeah. connect with the truth and be guided by that and then to make decisions. So make clear decisions. So getting clarity is, is really important, right? So if I'm trying to make a decision on how I'm going to show up in the world, first I need to have clarity around what it is that I wanna put out there. What is it that I'm trying to accomplish and want to create, right? What's, what's the impact I wanna make? And then to get clarity on what that means and, and then I can make informed decisions about you know, whether I need to demonstrate courage, whether I need to manage risk, who I need to connect and bring into the movement. And I think that applies to many different situations, especially difficult situations that we're encountering these days, right? So we need to make a decision on when am I going to step up? When am I going to decide that I need to take a different, you know, uh, a, a different way of doing things? Or when do I need to stop and try to understand more about other people's perspectives? So I think that that comes back to that self-leadership piece is to figure out how you want to show up in the situation. We've got about Thank five you. minutes left. Bob, do you have a short one you want to work in here real quick? Well, I think we, you and I have talked about this before, but I'd like to have um, Lincoln's opinion about leadership and philanthropy. To me, a leader can't be one unless they are a community servant giving back to the community. Mm. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. Yeah, I, and love I don't that. see any lists of, of people with words that describe leadership, including compassion or giving back or philanthropy or philanthropic or empathy or any of those words. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. In fact, um, in addition to the three C's of connection, which is compassion, courage and competence uh, in the book, you'll also see there's a list of the eight P's of ignition. And that includes profundity, so going within, getting clear on what's important to you, your passions, uh, your purpose, passion and purpose, perseverance, professionalism, play, philanthropy, and prosperity. So I think those are the eight P's of ignition that really 
um, people can connect with and find meaning in their work because meaning is really important. Um, and that's what's missing from a lot of jobs or roles is that people don't understand how they're making an impact, a positive impact and making a difference in the lives of others. Thank you, Bob. That's really good as usual. So um, Lisa, let's just kind of end up here. You've, you've given us some, a whole bunch of stuff to think about. Now, you'll find a transcription on the nonprofit exchange. You'll find a transcription and all these wonderful sound bites that Lisa has given us today um, and all these answers to these, I think, very relevant questions. Um, so we're coming out of a difficult time, we hope, um, with, you may have heard of this pandemic thing we've had. <laughs> and I, I have seen in the last year, some leaders stuff like I'm doing amazing things. And so they're really leading in a much stronger way and the organizations are stronger. So what's your advice for people uh, in this next era, this next uh, step of how do we enable and empower the organizations we lead? Mm, great question. So I think number one is how do you continue to keep that human connection, whether it's virtual or in person? Number two is involve your employees, involve your teams in determining how you're going to do, go back to work right? And be inclusive about it because it doesn't need to be a one size fits all provided everyone kind of does their best and in good faith uh, is, are able to set up perhaps a mix of, you know, and that's why we call it hybrid uh, virtual work with in-person work and see what work, you know, what, what can accommodate um, the various people in the team, all with the focus of, you know, commitment to, uh, doing and being their best. So a great leader knows how to go and harvest those ideas and inspire people and engage them in, in being the best versions uh, that they can be. So that means that there needs to be more focus on that human leadership development piece, that leadership from the inside out, that, you know, working on mindsets, working on what my, one of my collaborators, Ryan Codfordson uh, calls a vertical leadership and um, basically thinking about how we can be of service to others, right? And of others in, in organizations, as well as our clients and our colleagues. Outstanding, outstanding. We've, we've the, the really aware leaders have figured out what, what we shouldn't have been doing. And it's been a good time for them to uh, make, the, make the adjustments. So in the last minute we got, What's a tip or, or final thought you'd like to leave people with today? Well, learn how to light a fire in their hearts and think about, you know, how, how, how do you ignite yourself so that you can ignite others? Great, great advice. You'll find more about Lisa Anna Palmer at Light your leadership just like it sounds no dots dashes light your leadership.com lisa anna palmer thank you so much for being our guest today thank you so much Hugh. it's been a pleasure and i'm so glad we got to meet and i look forward to uh chatting again soon absolutely thank you again thank you everyone thank you for watching the nonprofit exchange This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.